Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very interesting show here today. today. Let's broaden our minds. I want a cheeseburger. I want a milkshake. I want Taylor You'll get parts. And entertainment, you like it? There is an academic type of word I can apply. There is similitude. Holy moly. I'm hot today. This is Let's Talk Arts and Entertainment, News Talk 94.7 and 970 WMAY. My name is Kevin Hart, and I'm the host of this weekend edition. I also do the podcast as well on WMAY.com slash arts and entertainment if you want to catch up on anything. Got a bit of a change in the schedule for today's show. It's going to start off as normal in the first half. We're going to have my recent interview with Jennifer Gronewald talking about the about talking about a food drive that has a connection to the arts community. Then we're going to have Way Out Wednesday, Saturday edition. <laughs> and then, for the entire second half, the first podcast I did on Let's Talk Arts and Entertainment was ranking all 24 James Bond movies. I'm going to be having part of that for the entire second half, not the whole thing. So uh, if you like it and you want to hear more of it, then you can go see it at WMAY.com slash arts and entertainment. First, here is Jennifer Gronwald. Tell us about what's going on this weekend. What is this uh, this food drive? Yeah, so this weekend, um, over 15 performing arts organizations and high school theater departments and their supporters are coming together for the first ever Springfield Area Performing Arts and Friends food drive um, to help uh, who to help restock the shelves of the Holy Family Food Pantry. Nice. Happening this. Friday, um, July 17th from 5 to 7 p.m. and this Saturday, July 18th from 9 to 11 p.m. We have three drop-off locations throughout the city. Um, Hoagland Center for the Arts at 420 South 16, Springfield Muni Opera at 815 East Lakeshore Drive, and Landmark Ford 2401 Prairie Crossing Drive. Nice. So we got all those different places you can uh, drop off any any food, any um, anything that you can. What? Uh, so how did this uh, how did this drive come about with all the different theater organizations? Um, I've been volunteering at the Holy Family Food Pantry since um, the shutdown of businesses and schools in March, um, and uh, the community has really felt the effects of COVID. Um, the number of patrons to the food pantry has increased dramatically. A lot of them have lost their jobs, um, and they were getting some support to help them pay their bills um, and rent. And now that businesses have gone back um, back in, uh, they are having a hard time make ends meet because a lot of them have lost their jobs. Um, also, uh, we in the theater community are feeling the loss of um, not being able to perform right now yep. because, yes, theater is, is a labor of love, um, mm-hmm. as you well know. Yes. Um, and when we come together to do a show, we really do come together as a family to love and support each other. And a lot of us are missing that right now. Um, and so we're planning the food drive to kind of reconnect and, and be able to share that love and support not only within our theater community, but with the community at large that is really in need of the help these days. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's great what's, um, what everyone's putting on this weekend. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be really successful. Um, I want to ask you, um, you know, just a little 
a little bit off topic here. How uh, how long have you been involved in the uh, arts community here in Springfield? Um, I started working on shows in 2012. Um, and I've worked on many shows. I, I can't even keep track. <laughs> yeah. uh, I work mostly backstage, so I am not a performer. Um, I like to, to help support the performers. Okay, um, absolutely. But in all various capacities, um, stage managing, props, painting, um, producing. Uh, so, yeah, I've been quite involved, and I've worked with a lot of theaters that are helping out this weekend. So when I contacted them to also support the food drive, I've been overwhelmed by the amount of support that they have pledged to help out. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, again, I'm so glad this is going on. This is going to be great. Um, just, uh, you know, quickly, once again, um, um, and actually, before I go into um, that, um, the success, this drive is successful. You think we're going to keep doing these for going forward? We're going to keep doing more drives? I hope so. Um, it's, a, it's just a great way for the theater and performance arts community to come together. Um, during, especially this time, I know Broadway has shut down until at least December, um, and we are looking for these alternate ways to be a part of the community. Um, also, I read something in the United Nations put out the other day that said that uh, the number of hungry people in our country could push all the way up to 132 million Oof. because of the COVID virus. Um, and so, yes, it would be great if we could make this you know, an annual or semi-annual event. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, just one more time. Uh, where are the drop-off locations going to be, and when will people be able to drop them off? Okay. The, uh, the drop-off locations are Hoagland Center for the Arts, Springfield Mooney Opera, and Landmark Ford. Landmark Ford is, um, is donating the use of their trucks. Uh, for the food drive, so that's that's great support from them. Um, and that is going on Friday, July 17th, from 5 to 7 p.m., and Saturday, July 18th, from 9 to 11 a.m. And we could use all kinds of um, items, canned goods and non-perishables, um, including hygiene items, um, the little hotel travel soaps that everyone yep. has lying around their house, mm -hmm. uh, toothpaste, toilet paper, um, as well as all the canned goods canned and box goods you can think of awesome all right well i hope everything goes great this weekend jen thanks for talking to me thank you talk so to much. you soon thank you thank you that was my interview with jen now artist on adams you may have heard about it's continuing to go strong and i got a little bit of an update of what's coming up this week and just want to give you a little update on artist on adams which is the weekly series of performances by local artists on Adams Street. It's every Tuesday and Thursday from noon to one o'clock. Go see some nice local music, support local arts. Coming up this week, we have Dennis Darling on the 21st and Andrew Heathwaite on Tuesday the 23rd.
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Way Out Wednesday. I'm Kevin. I'm Mike. And let's have some stories to show you that are funny and informative, and you may not have heard of them. That's right. A little under-the-radar news for you. A little under-the-radar news. you got a doozy to start off with. I have a doozy to start off with. And speaking of under-the-radar, if this is your sort of thing, you may want to keep it under-the-radar. Very much. This is something you want to use incognito tabs for. Yes. Um... We're going to keep this PG-13 because, because we can. as best we can because we will accompany photos with this. Again, they will, uh, I don't want to say tasteful, but they will not be nudes. So <laughs> anyways, uh, so you don't know. You, you're already flustered. You want I'm already to, flustered. I'm no, no, I, I, do you I, want I, me to get into this for you? I mean, this is a story that you chose to be the one that you're going to lead off I, with. <laughs> but... But, okay. I get. I got it. I got it. Okay, you got it. I got it. Listen. Get it? Okay. So this uh, this woman has a uh, has an account where she is usually is one of those accounts where you would do nude pictures, nude you videos. Can say it. It's it's okay. OnlyFans. OnlyFans. Okay. All right. OnlyFans is a site that has been in the news a lot. Because, it has because when people lost their jobs, people went to the internet because. The internet is full of creepy people that want to see odd things. Yes. And so this woman started everything as kind of the up and up. Yes. And then and, realized something. And then realized something that she, when she used to be younger, and not just younger, how she still was to this day or that day, is uh, that she liked acting like a dog, acting like a puppy, being called good girl, and catching the ball and stuff like that. Whoa. So, So she found out that... Um, that there is this is a, some sort of fetish, and that she can make lots and lots of money by pretending to be a dog on OnlyFans. And when I say lots and lots of money, I'm not like, oh, somebody paid like a hundred dollars. Um, no, she makes. Let's see here. Where is the number? Here it is. Six figures monthly, acting like a dog on OnlyFans. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love the quote there. She said it was just a hobby before. Then realize there wasn't really a market for female puppies. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't there be. There shouldn't be a market. You people are sick. You are disgusting. But, Come on, but folks. It, but if you're a man and you have no shame, there might be a market in pretending to be a dog and making lots of money off of it. Yeah, that, that's true, too. Look, she's being an entrepreneur. She's being a trend center. She yeah, said, look, look at her. I'm, I'm going to be a dog and I make money. Say, I won't say what kind of style she has. No, I... <laughs> Moving on before we get in trouble here. Moving on. Uh, uh, so some a bit more normal news here. All right. I love how this guy has become this, normal. This is this is the normal. This is the normal story. This here. is the normal story. Mister Shedworth is his name. Uh, he went viral at one point for being turned away from a job because he wore a shed, a wooden shed, on his head. That rhymes. Because it is a weird story for the times. Oh, look at this guy dropping beats over there. Dropping rhymes. I love the fact that Mr. Shedworth went on a podcast, and while the interview was going on, he actually tried to convince the people doing the podcast that the shed is actually his head, and that both of his parents are sheds, and the structure grew naturally as part of his body. Okay, even if I take that as face value, that both your parents were sheds, how do they give birth and how do they do the hibbity-dibbity? How, how That's do, something for OnlyFans. Yes, it That's is. That's something that for OnlyFans. That would be worth investing in. You see, how would but, – but then – but this this has a whole other like, story to it because if two sheds made a human-shed hybrid, then who <laughs> was cheating to, with the on human? Who, on whom? On whom were they cheating oh, with? I, I mean – We've uncovered an entire new just – 
mystery and scandal for Mr. Shedworth there. By the way, he says he's not some kind of attention seeker trying to live out some weird alternate reality. You kind of are. Yeah, I, I don't know how you could think that. I mean, look at the, look look at him dancing in his room with the uh, flames coming out of the shed here. I mean, he look. I mean, honestly, he's. Uh, I just want to be able to go to Aldi in peace and buy my bread and my wonky mushrooms and take some wood preservative without being ogled by people. You're wearing, <laughs> You're a wearing shed a- out of your head. I'm sorry. You're going to get ogled. You have a house you on have your a house head. On your, a mini house on your head, and you're telling me your parents are houses. Well, I just can't understand why people look at me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> get used to it, dude. Oh, man. I hope. Does he? Never mind. I was going to say something about it. I hope he doesn't have a doggy door on that shed to go back to our first story, but we'll move on quickly. Speaking of morning wood. No. Hey, <laughs> Uh, here's a good one, though. This story right here. If I were to ask you, Kevin, yeah. um, and to you out there, you have a man with a machete. That's how I have to say machete. Of course, machete. machete. It's machete. It's machete. Uh, and a guy with just a pizza. Who are you taking in that fight? Mm. You take a machete or pizza man? Uh, I take the machete. Machete is more predictable eh, than a pizza. Wrong. Really? Yeah, no. In Delaware, a guy with a machete came in to rob this dude at his pizza place, Stargate Pizza. Uh, and what happened was the individual who was being robbed decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to throw the pizza at the guy. Now, I'm assuming it was one that came straight out of the oven. And that cheese can be hot That stuff's hot if it's yeah, right at yeah. yeah. And so the pizza hit the machete man, and machete man ran away. So either that pizza was straight out of the oven or the person working at the pizza place was actually one of the Ninja Turtles in disguise. Yeah. Like like throwing their, throwing their Heroes Ninja Heroes in a half show. Pizza oh. power. Boom. Cowabunga, machete. Third degree burns, dude. <laughs> I love it. And finally, uh, this one was I, – I, it's imagine, if you will, for a moment. This is just an amazing story to me. Uh, the fact that you're when you're driving down the road sometimes, right? Let's say it's a beautiful day out. You roll down the windows, and a bug flies in. Yeah, you freak out, don't you? Or or you're just driving in the middle of winter, and somehow a spider gets in and it crawls across. You go, yeah, mm-hmm. you're freaking out. In Australia, where everything wants to kill you, of course, a gentleman named Jimmy, only identified as Jimmy, is driving down the road, and all of a sudden realizes there's a snake in his car. And not only is it a snake, but it's a poisonous snake. Oh, great. He says, quote, it just started to wrap around me. Its head started striking at the driver's chair between my legs. Oh, right no. Right near the boys. No. So he's got to kill it. And he's still driving. That's how tough Australians are. They didn't pull over. He's still driving. Ain't got my family juice, Mike. Ah! And at one point, because all Australians got a knife. In of course. Car, apparently, that's a knife. That's a knife. You, that's you no knife. a nice snake. This is a knife. That's a knife. So he starts to get into a rumble with the snake using a knife and his seatbelt. Eventually, whacks the snake with the knife and throws the snake out the back of the window to the back of his car. All right? Mm-hmm. When he looks down, he thinks, oh, my God, I think I've been bit by this poisonous snake. So as anyone would do, he hammers the gas and tries to get to the nearest hospital. Uh, but the thing is, he gets pulled over by the cops. Cops come up and go, there's a there's a headless dead snake in the back here. And there's this guy. And so when they find out it was a possible deadly snake, they finally call the ambulance. And the Jimmy said he was never happier to get pulled over in his life. <laughs> Ended up, didn't get bit. He was just in shock by the whole ordeal. 
Well, I think you would be in shock if a snake jumped into your window and you had to fight it. Yeah, well, if the snake didn't uh, jump in the window, it just crawled out like of the console. Yeah. So it crawls out, so crawls out of the console, and then the snake wraps around your leg and starts going for your boys. Like your snake starts attacking your boys. Your snake. And you go, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you go, okay, I'm not having any of this. I don't know if I would have enough clarity or enough gumption to fight the snake because I know I don't have a knife in my car. I'm right. not Australian. So the only thing that would make that story better is if before he cut it with the knife, he hit it over the head with a big thing of Foster's. That's <laughs> yeah. Australian for beer. There's your news from down There's under. There's your news <laughs> from down under, Mighty. That's uh, Wyatt Wednesday. I'm not doing that. Do not. Yeah. You, yeah. You, don't. You, you let me. They, they're going to put me like Dick Van Dyke doing the British accent, Mary Poppins. By no. the way, don't search down under on OnlyFans. Don't. But you know what? That man wouldn't say his name, but Dog Lady's name is on there. Uh, so you'll be able to find her if that's your thing. Again, incognito mode. Yes. So anyway, he, so was, he gets caterpillars. He, he gets caterpillars. Rocket. But he was thinking like we did. That's not the worst thing you could find. Right. So he keeps the caterpillar and brings it back, brings the broccoli back and says, hey, look, there were uh, caterpillars in this. So they give him broccoli. And that broccoli has caterpillars in it, too. That's a bad broccoli that match. Is, yeah, so hopefully they got recalled or something. But So he kept all these caterpillars, so instead of just flinging them out to the street or killing them or whatever, he raised them. Oh, very nice. He, he raised them. Uh, they and, and, you know, kept them in a little little container. Right. They, you know, became cocoons. And eventually that sad day when they uh, they flew from the, the coop. They became the, the butterflies, the beautiful became, butterflies. Yes, beautiful. The broccoli butterflies. The broccoli butterflies. At the bottom of the list, I have A View to a Kill from 1985. In A View to a Kill, Max Zorin, that's the villain, he's played by Christopher Walken, and his Mistress of Death, Mayday, played by Grace Jones, attempt to blow up Silicon Valley and make it look like an accident, so Max can sell his microchips and cut out all the competition. Don't worry, though, he's thwarted by an embarrassingly old Roger Moore, now nearing 60, who, despite needing a stunt double to do a dive roll, got Botox in real life to look younger. Now, this is not the most out-of-the-world plot of the bunch, uh, I've seen a lot of weird ones, and this plot is pretty lazy. It's ripped right from Goldfinger. But the main problem the movie has is it commits the cardinal sin of just being unacceptably boring. A movie that could easily be 30 minutes shorter drags on for what seems like a week and a half. The Duran Duran song, Christopher Walken, Grace Jones, they're all great, but none of them can save this terrible slog of a movie. Die Another Day from 2002. This was Pierce Brosnan's final movie. Um, he did four of them. In this one, a British millionaire and a North Korean agent do their own version of Freaky Friday to trick Bond, who is in a North Korean prison for a year and a half, being tortured for info of which he never gives. He teams up with Halle Berry, who plays an agent named Jinx, to take on the aforementioned body snatchers in a giant ice palace. Then they have to disarm a satellite. Uh... This movie is bad. Now, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. It, try, it tries to reference all of the 19 movies that came before it. Uh, some of them work. Some of them are extremely shoehorned in. Some of them are just very lazy. Bond drives an invisible car in this movie. Uh, yeah. 
the Q, who's now who he was R in the last movie. John Cleese played him, but now he's Q. Uh, he explains it, but you know, you know, your suspension of disbelief for a spy movie can only go so far. So even for this spy thriller bordering on sci-fi, is next up number 22 Spectre this was the most recent movie that Daniel Craig did James Bond must go after the titular organization Spectre led by Franz Oberhauser played by Christopher Waltz who turns out to be Blofeld the head of Spectre who would have thought James Bond teams up with Mr. White's daughter he was a character from the last two movies uh, Madeline Swan. movie's big plot twist is that Blofeld well, first of all, is that Franz Oberhauser is Blofeld. That's the plot, somehow the plot twist. But the, the plot twist that goes along with it is that he was uh, Bond's long-lost stepbrother who was mad that his dad gave Bond more attention than him. It's the driving plot for I, You know, for a James Bond movie, it's a really bold choice, not, not, not in a good way. Ugh. Yeah, it's I, I can't stand this plot choice. I don't think it's very good. Um, Blofeld has been pulling the strings the whole time for Craig's movies, which, look, this happened in the old movies a lot. Spectre did this. Um, they, you know, they had different agents, different, you know. But but with that, the real organization of Smirsh is what Spectre was based off of. In fact, they reference Smirsh in some of the earliest movies. There was no Spectre in the books. It was just Smirsh. So... They're basing that off of a real organization. Uh, so then when they try to do it in this one, uh, and, and, the, and it really is... I talked about the references and Die Another Day being shoehorned. Oof. It's a slow movie with good action and decent acting. I'm not a fan of the story overall. All right. Next up, we have Diamonds Are Forever from 1971. If Goldfinger kickstarted the campy Bond movies, this movie ratchets it up way up. Up to 11, you might say. After the more serious approach to James Bond that On Her Majesty's Secret Service took, Guy Hamilton, who directed Goldfinger, brought Sean Connery back. Now, Sean Connery had quit after You Only Live Twice. He had a falling out with the movie's uh, producers and the directors and did not want to play the character of James Bond anymore. So he quit, George Lazenby took over, and then they brought him back for an insane amount of money. Over a million dollars they took to bring Sean Connery back, which in 1970, a lot of money now, 1971, it's unheard of to pay an actor that much to come back to play a role which he kind of phones it in. He really just is like, I'm James Bond, I'm Sean Connery. That's, he, it's, that's, that's about the extent of it. He had a killer song by Shirley Bassey who did the theme to Goldfinger, but this, this plot, people, people, this plot, alright, let me attempt to do justice to this plot. Alright. <clears throat> in Diamonds Are Forever, Blofeld, who was played by Charles Gray, who did a bit part in You Only Live Twice, uh, creates clones of himself, and he has two gay henchmen, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. They smuggle diamonds out of Africa and kill all the witnesses, so nobody knows what's going on. The diamonds that they smuggle are used to power a satellite with a laser on it, and Blofeld plans to use this laser to extort the world. James Bond enlists the help of one of the diamond smugglers, Jill St. John, who's playing Tiffany Case, and Jimmy Dean, the sausage guy. He's playing a man named Willard White, who has not been seen in five years. I, I've seen it a lot of times. And, look, this is just an excuse for Sean Connery to 
phone in his James Bond performance and objectify women a lot worse than Goldfinger does, by the way. Not to mention homophobia. This this death scene that Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid have is it's pretty bad, even by them the standards of 1971. It's pretty homophobic how they die. So, you know, uh, it's camp to the max. You can enjoy it and laugh. But it's not that good of a movie. Oh, boy. You Only Live Twice. That's the next one on the list from 1967. All right. I know, another Sean Connery one. He was a great James Bond, but not all of his movies were that good. In You Only Live Twice, 007 fakes his death and goes to Japan to investigate the disappearance of a spacecraft, and he realizes the nefarious specter was behind it. The white cat-stroking Ernst Stavro Blofeld is played by Donald Pleasance. He gives a very creepy performance with some interesting line readings. He's about to kill James Bond, he thinks, and he goes, Goodbye, Mr. Bond. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, anyways, the the awkward casting choice of a white man to play the Chinese Dr. No is not the same level of offensiveness as, like, Fu Manchu, Charlie Chan... But let me tell you, this movie, James Bond darkening his skin and slanting his eyes to go undercover as a Japanese man, it tries damned hardest to reach that level. I give the movie credit for actually casting Asian actors and actresses, unlike Dr. No, which just kind of did the same thing with uh, Dr. No for all the, all the white characters played the Chinese characters. No, yeah, Bond's yellow face is just embarrassing. Uh, it looks really bad now, so... Look, among Bond's gadgets in this movie are a cigarette that shoots a rocket, it's pretty cool, and an Ikea helicopter, put it, put it together, in multiple suitcases, it's, uh, it's kind of cool, but, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, ah, yeah, it's a 60s movie, they couple that with this movie's plot beats being somewhat lifted from Thunderball, the movie that came before it, and this movie fails to impress the same way the previous four did. A fun fact, the volcano hideout that they do at the end of the movie cost more than the entire budget of Dr. No. Sean Connery, as I said, quit after this movie, only to come back two movies later, and the lackluster Never Say Never Again from 1983. We will be talking about that movie sometime. Next up, Moonraker. Oh, buddy. James Bond in space! No, really. The post-Star Wars craze was in full effect during this movie's production. It's an obvious cash grab. Hugo Drax wants to wipe out the human race and start over with a team of super fit and attractive humans. His plan is to fire bombs filled with a chemical that instantly kills humans to the Earth from his space station. James Bond and his love interest, Dr. Goodhead, uh, yeah, that's her name, played by Louise Childs, goes up against Jaws again. He's one of the villains. We'll talk about him later. In a painfully awkward cable car fight. Ooh, looks really bad. Even by 1979 standards, because the movie came out. Ninjas in a museum and a space Nazi. That's the villain. It's a good thing Q perfected a laser just in time for Star Wars to come through, for James Bond to embark on this very serious and plausible mission. This movie is fun to watch and heckle, but it's pretty bad. Quantum of Solace from 2008. That's the next one. A wealthy businessman who's part of Quantum, which was intended to be the new Spectre, I think. He wants to steal and gain control of Bolivia's water and make a huge profit off of it. The movie takes place literally like minutes after Casino Royale ends. I was originally not a big fan of this one. In fact, at one point, it might have been at the bottom of this list. It's grown on me, though. It's still pretty boring. Which you wouldn't guess from its runtime of an hour and 46 minutes. It's the shortest one in the series, and 
feels like forever. However, it was made during the 2008 writer's strike. That shows. The Man with a Golden Gun. Next movie on our list here. Yeah, title explains the villain and his weapon of choice. Francisco Scaramanga, played by Christopher Lee, is a killer who charges $1 million for a kill. He and Bond are both trying to get their hands on a Solex agitator. Sort of battery that uses solar power. Scaramanga, of course, plans to use it for evil. The Man with a Golden Gun is a mixed bag of a movie. On the one hand, like Live and Let Die, which came before it, Roger Moore is in his prime here. Great performances by Christopher Lee's the titular villain, some great locations and set pieces, but on the other hand, this is a weird movie, and not particularly in a good way. Scaramanga's island is in Thailand, so there's some 1970s racial insensitivities, some dash of sexism, Asian stereotypes, nothing on the level of You Only Live Twice, but still awkward. One of Bond's adversaries in this one is a henchman named Knickknack. He's a midget, and Bond disposes of him by stuffing him in a briefcase. Alrighty then. The World is Not Enough. 1999. This is with Pierce Brosnan, the third movie he did. Bond tries to protect an oil tycoon's daughter, who's secretly teamed up with Renard, a killer who cannot feel pain after a bullet was lodged in his brain. Bond enlists the help of a nuclear physicist named Dr. Christmas Jones, played by Denise Richards, who only exists to set up a pun at the end of the movie. This is a perfectly adequate movie with the usual twists and turns you'd expect. Robbie Coltrane is back for this one. Desmond Llewellyn, who had been James Bond in the series playing Q over 35 years at this point, was clearly intended to be his last movie because John Cleese is in it. He plays R uh, and is sort of interning with Q. Next movie, Live and Let Die. A drug kingpin going by the name of Mr. Big wants to put the drug pushers out of business with free heroin and then move in. After what would be the final departure of Sean Connery... Until the unofficial 007 movie, Never Say Never Again, Roger Moore, who had been successful in the TV show The Saint, playing a James Bond-esque character, even being referenced as a sort of James Bond type in one of the episodes, was an easy choice for the movie. Roger Moore's first outing really isn't the best of his seven movies. It certainly wasn't his worst, though. Live and Let Die attempted to cash in on the black exploitation movies of the 70s, and... Uh, it goes about as well as you'd expect. Kind of hits the mark. Eh. Well, the first half of the movie works pretty well, but it goes all over the place. After Bond and Solitaire, played by Jane Seymour in her film debut, get caught halfway through the movie, one of the henchmen has a claw for a hand, which is pretty cool, and the main villain dies because he gets blown up like a balloon. Not even exact. When I say blow up a balloon, he goes and pops, although it's a little more violent than that. That is how they kill the villain at the end of the movie. Just, you know, again, odd movie. James Bond jumps across a bunch of crocodiles at one point. Not the worst one Roger Moore did, still a pretty odd movie. Alright, License to Kill, next movie up on the list. Bond's CIA counterpart, Felix Leiter, is mauled by a shark and his wife is killed on his wedding day. MI6 refuses Bond to pursue the killers, so he resigns his <clears throat> title of the movie there, License to Kill, and goes rogue. The culprits are a drug lord named Franz Sanchez, played by Robert Davi, and his henchman Dario, played by a young Benicio del Toro. Leiter is usually played by a different actor in each movie, but in this one, a David Hennison comes back to play him from Live and Let Die, which I think is pretty cool, which is interesting because in the book of Live and Let Die, Leiter, when he gets mauled in this movie, it's the same as in the book, so a little interesting connection there. And while Timothy Dalton does a bang-up job, I really like him as James Bond, um... 
movie's not as strong as the one that comes before it and has a bit of an uneven tone. Uh, there, there are very serious moments of suspense and plot twists and really high stakes only to be stopped by a ninja who has a Spider-Man-esque web shooter and he shoots a net at James Bond. It's, it's a good movie, but it's pretty flawed. Next up on the list, Octopussy. I swear this movie is rated PG. Octopussy is the main character's name. The main character of the James Bond. I know there's a lot of sex in these movies, but like this, I promise this one is rated PG. Anyways, James Bond is investigating the death of 009, one of his fellow agents who leads him to India, where he meets the titular, again, this is a PG movie, Octopussy, who runs a smuggling operation under the ruse of a circus. Octopussy is played by Mond Adams, who was in... The Man with the Golden Gun, playing Francisco Scaramanga's wife. The series reuses more actors than just the main cast. It's quite amazing, actually. Louise Jordan plays Kamal Khan, the movie's main villain, and his menacing calm works wonders here. However, I gotta say, after watching the musical Gigi, which Jordan did in 1958, I expected Khan to come out and start singing. Spend the money quickly, Mr. Bond. Gigi, am I a fool without a mind? Or have I merely been too blind to realize? I like that. It's good. That's good musical, too. But anyways, he's much more menacing, this one. It's offset, though, by Stephen Burkhoff's General Orlov character, who is an over-eccentric war hawk who wants to destroy a U.S. airbase in Germany. This is one of the sillier movies that Roger Moore did, but... I think it's pretty underrated. The movie has a sense of adventure like an Indiana Jones movie, and it's it's just kind of fun to watch. Tomorrow Never Dies is our next movie from 1997. A timely plot of a media mogul, Elliot Carver, played by Jonathan Price, wanted to broadcast all over the world even though China won't let him. He's manipulating tomorrow's news through murder and deceit today. Bond teams up with Chinese agent Wei Lin, played by Michelle Yeoh, to take Carver off the air for good. If you looked up a James Bond movie in the dictionary, this movie would show up. Brilliant display of humor, action, and twisted villains. I'd say this is the second best movie that Pierce Brosnan did. Up next, for your eyes only. James Bond is trying to get his hands on a strategic device similar to one seen in From Russia with Love with the help of a woman named Melinda Havelock who wants revenge on the movie's main villain, Christatos, who murdered her family, murders them at the beginning of the movie. Also... Helping 007 is Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, topple. If I were a wealthy man. Who played Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof, the movie, plays Columbo, an old partner of the main villain. This movie is much more grounded and basic than the previous Moonraker. That's a good thing. Alright, this movie is an overarching theme of revenge, more so than others. The movie starts with Bond exacting revenge on Blofeld. Now, they did not have the rights to Blofeld when they made this movie. It's I know he's like the big villain everybody thinks about, yet the white cat, they did not have the rights to him because of a lawsuit dating back to Thunderball with Kevin McClory, who produced that movie and also produced Never Say Never Again, the unofficial James Bond movie with John Connery, which is kind of a remake of Thunderball. They weren't allowed to use Blofeld or Spectre until he died, which was right before Spectre, the movie, was made. So anyways, they kill Blofeld by throwing him down a chimney stack. He's in a wheelchair with his uh, with a neck brace. Well, as you do, I guess. Anyways, uh, then Columbo tries to get back Christatos in the middle of the movie, and 
Melinda wants revenge for her family's death. Sometimes just going back to basics is the best for a series like this, and that's why many regard it as Roger Moore's best, but I think it's a close second to another movie. Up next, we have Skyfall. James Bond is presumed dead after he is accidentally shot during a mission. A disgruntled, put it mildly, former MI6 agent named Silva, played by Javier Bardem, wants M's head on a platter. With the less-than-stellar Quantum of Solace coming before, there's not much hope for the James Bond series. Lots of questions being asked, like, was Bond relevant anymore? How could this movie work? Why are these movies even still being made? Those questions were put to rest in 2012 when Skyfall reignited the James Bond series. Again. It works well with the first two movies enough to bring it full circle by the end. There's a little corniness at the end, but I think people wanted it at that point, so now I give it a pass. I don't really like it. I won't say what happens at the end of the movie. At the very end of the movie, right before the credits roll. I won't say what happens, but yeah, it's just a little, it's a little on the nose. Judy Dench is almost last movie as M. She's kind of Inspector, but not really as much as in previous movies. She's kind of just like on a video in it. Skyfall is the name of James Bond's childhood home, which becomes a set piece for the amazingly epic finale. Next up on the list, Dr. No, the original OG James Bond movie. The official one, by the way. There was one before it. This is the one everybody recognizes as the first movie. A low-budget classic about the titular villain Dr. No trying to destroy the U.S. space program. The movie mostly takes place in Jamaica, where Dr. No's island is located. Sean Connery debuts James Bond in this movie... Entrance, fantastic. He's playing cards, you don't see his face. The woman sitting across from him says, I admire your luck, mister. And he lights a cigarette and says, Bond. James Bond. Which, of course, became his signature slogan, next to Shaken Not Stirred. On his mission, James Bond runs into a CIA buddy, Felix Leiter, played in this movie by a Jack Lord of Hawaii Five-O fame, and an island girl named Honey Ryder, played by Ursula Andress. Andress's entrance, rising out of the water, is almost as iconic as Bond, James Bond. However, Iran the movie is named after, well, he's supposed to be Chinese. The actor, Joseph Wiseman, is not. The white man, where they kind of just slanted his eyes a little bit. That's not the most offensive portrayal in the series by a long shot, but, you know, there's no gong when he appears, you know, it isn't a fake accent or anything, but it's still pretty awkward by today's standards. And although this movie is a formidable start to the series, and a great movie. Next up, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Agent 007 agrees to resign from MI6 to marry the daughter of a man named Draco, who's the head of Union Corse, a crime syndicate, in exchange for the whereabouts of Blofeld. In On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Blofeld plans to dominate the world through bacteriological warfare if he isn't paid a large sum of money. A plot that in this day and age, well, doesn't seem so far-fetched. George Lazenby had never acted before in 1969 other than some wristwatch ads, and his first ever major film role was following up Sean Connery as James Bond. What could possibly go wrong? Well, Lazenby's acting skills are on full display, and although he certainly looks the part, doesn't quite get there acting-wise. And when he goes undercover as another man, Sir Hilary Bray, as opposed to trying to sound like him... He just dubbed his voice over with the actor who played Sir Hilary Bray. <laughs> yeah. However, 
This movie is remembered for its ahead of its time serious tone that would not come back until the late 80s and 90s. And don't forget the downright sad ending. It's not something we'd see very much in the James Bond series, even nowadays. Unlike the other adaptations of Ian Fleming's original books, this one is still the most accurate. One of the best aspects of Her Majesty's Secret Service is the iconic ski chase scene. It's outstanding in every Bond movie with a ski chase trying to emulate it. Sure, by today's standards, some of the green screen and the close-ups might look dated if you watch the movie in HD. But listen, a stuntman skied down that mountain with a camera multiple times shooting on 35mm film with a giant Panavision camera shooting the footage as he was going down. That is dedication, and that is amazing film work. You missed a segment? Hello? Hello? Anybody home? You can find it at WMAY.com slash arts and entertainment. You can hear the full show, some of the clips, some of the things you might not even hear on the air. Interactive appetite. Searching for a website, a window to the world that to get online. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. Thank you once again for listening in. I will see you next week here at 11 a.m. News Talk 94.7 and 970 WMAY.